All right, welcome everyone to the Bank Innovation Weekly Wrap for the week of May 4. It is May 8, 2020. I'm JJ Hornblast and I'm joined by my colleagues, Rodrigo Suarez, Bianca Chan, and Rick Morgan. Welcome all of you to the Weekly Wrap. Um, we still are uh, dealing with uh, PPP-related technology news. Uh, it seemed like the PPP dynamic trans uh, transferred a little bit from uh, originating of the PPP loans uh, to something else. Uh, what did you guys find this week in regards to that? Yeah, I can see going on. Um, so I think as of this morning, it seems that there's still like 40% of the funds left in this second round of, of PPP. So that's good to hear that they, that they haven't depleted yet. Um, but yeah, it seems like things are starting to, um, I guess, get under control from the bank's perspective. We're seeing more um, of these big tech companies kind of coming in and, and spinning up these other um, technology solutions, specifically Google uh, last, late last week unveiled this, um, uh, this trio of AI-backed PPP products for banks to use. And I thought the most interesting part of that was the document parser, which is essentially um, this technology that uses OC, like um, optical character recognition to take different parts of the um, supporting documents that these businesses need for, to, to apply for these PPP loans. And it helps put the data into a structured format so that banks can process it a little more quickly. And um, that part of the, of the product is actually free for banks to use. And th that part of the process we've heard has been largely manual. Um, it seems like banks are mostly just kind of like staffing up those, those departments and just having more hands on deck. But I really think that um, this AI technology would probably be a lot faster. <laughs> right, right. And uh, what are some of the other solutions that have been introduced recently as it relates broadly to PPP? Hmm. You heard anything, Rick? Uh, yeah, there's been like quite a few. I mean, we've done a lot of different stories about community banks and kind of what they're, uh, what, what they're using. Uh, we've done stories about Tesla software. They launched their own sort of loan forgiveness solution. Um, we did a story a while back about Radius Bank, um, which kind of stood up its own standalone um, automated PPP loan forgiveness solution. Um, but pretty much all the major players are trying to kind of get involved here. Uh, Jack Henry, which works with a lot of small community banks, um, and these community banks are, you know, kind of shouldering a lot of the lion's share of these PPP loans. So um, Jack Henry is working to sort of get a lot of, uh, a lot of these community banks um, up to speed and to be able to automate this process as well. So um, there's a lot of different solutions out there and uh, it's gonna get more heated up, I would imagine, in the coming weeks when the forgiveness process becomes more, uh, right. more scrutinized. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, the, uh, the Microsoft Temenos deal this week, um, Give us some background on that. Sure, yeah. Um, so Temenos uh, has this financial crime mitigation software, uh, and they've had it for a while, but they teamed up with Microsoft this week, and what that really allows financial institutions, banks, credit unions to do is to actually trial it out 
um, and to sort of build their own, um, their own solution based on that trial. Uh, and the interesting stat from that story, uh, I think we all kind of thought about was the fact that the average financial crime mitigation software has about a 7% false positive rate, meaning that um, out of all the financial crime that it detects, 7% of it is not, not actually a financial crime. So you're pulling your, your, uh, your risk people and the other employees from the bank um, away from their normal duties to analyze something that's not actually a financial crime. Uh, and right. Temenos claims that their solution gets that down to 2% with this partnership with Microsoft. So right. um, that's kind of the, their big differentiator right there. It'd be interesting to see uh, if banks really start to, to adopt that and use it and if they really are seeing results. Yeah, I, I mean, the whole false positive dynamic, um, uh, Rodrigo, uh, is, is something that a lot of banks have to deal with. I mean, this is not just even in technology. I mean, this is generally speaking, uh, errors, errors in processing, um, you know, uh, um, in, incorrect data inputs or whatever the case may be. Um, I mean, is that, I know we're, we're gonna be focusing on this later in the year at our, our uh, banking automation summit, but, um, I, you know, you've looked at some new startups that are heading into the INV class, and is there a focus on that uh, coming in, you know, for some new startups coming into the market? Yeah, I think there's a focus on that, both from, you know, new startups and also uh, from maybe more established startups. Um, you know, what, what Rick mentioned, I think, is something that a lot of banks are now becoming more aware of. Uh, which is, you know, they need to have more robust solutions around uh, crime, around fraud, as, as more and more uh, banking moves to the digital space, uh, solutions to, you know, prevent wrong actors from taking advantage of the system, I think, will be uh, very relevant. Um, we saw that a few weeks ago with um, on FIO raising, I think, like a $100 million uh, round. Um, which may have already been planned before this happened, but you know, identity solutions, fraud, et cetera, I think um, are becoming very relevant. And then our current review of our, of our pipeline uh, startups for our next class, uh, we're seeing a few um, emerging technology players with very interesting solutions uh, around you know, biometric authentication, um, you know, different tools to uh, Know, give banks reassurance that you know the person who is um, you know, conducting a transaction is the person that that's supposed to be conducting that transaction. Um, and to your point, you know, around the broader theme of um, automation, you know, there are a number of companies that we've been looking at that are trying to decrease the rate of those false positives uh, around different areas. Uh, for banks to do less manual work and, and focus more and more uh, value-added activities. Yeah, there was a, uh, there was an issue. Who, who wrote the J.P. Morgan uh, wholesale payment story? Oh, Bianca, thank you. So Bianca wrote that. So, so there was an interesting uh, point in there that kind of relates to what you're uh, you're saying, Rodrigo. Um, while there is a you know new startups uh, or new solutions coming to market, uh, I was, first of all, struck by the fact that JPM is processing $6 trillion 
that was the right number, correct? Six trillion dollars yeah. uh, of money flows daily, which is really staggering. Um, but uh, the fact that they, um, uh, that the fact that they're they they're looking for partnerships, they're looking for new technologies, Rodrigo. But uh, the line from uh, the person that Rodrigo, uh, that Bianca spoke with was, you know, we take a very careful view of this and choose to work deeply with select partners, which to me means they give, they really run these partners through the get the gauntlet. Is that was that the impression you got, Bianca? Yeah, for sure. I mean, these partnerships are obviously like they're mutual, mutually beneficial. Um, but J.P. Morgan's not looking to just connect and open up their systems to everyone because um as as Sirem said you know they were only as strong as our weakest link so as you kind of grow out that open banking ecosystem and that like connectivity they're mm -hmm. really looking and, and being really like they're scrutinizing these partners to make sure you know like from a cybersecurity perspective from the business perspective as well as from the tech perspective like does it make sense and, and are they kind of um uh, up to par, I guess, or up to right. GPM's kind of benchmark. Right. So speaking of kind of reaching out to new partners, you wrote about uh, banks were um, uh, connecting with more customers via social media. Um, what did you find, Bianca? Oh, well, actually, that was, that was a story. And it was, it's a really interesting one about um, how all these big, big banks are, are taking to Pinterest, which when you go to our conferences and other conferences out there and we talk about social media strategy pinterest is never one that comes up they always say you know facebook we're kind of looking at instagram maybe snapchat but pinterest is never one that comes up so i thought that was a fantastic story that that rick could probably speak more to yeah it was just um basically a lot of these banks were saying that people go to pinterest um with the mindset to buy I mean, they're going there because they want to remodel their kitchen or because they want to, you know, create a nursery for their new kid or they're getting married and, you know, they have a wedding coming up. Um, and, you know, financial services really go hand in hand with all of those things. So um, banks are seeing, you know, so according to Pinterest and some of the banks we spoke with, they're seeing a lot higher conversion rates, a lot higher quick click through rates um, because their services go so organically with a lot of the, um, the, the reasons people visit Pinterest to begin with. Um, so it was really interesting to hear that this sort of um, the, the crown jewel, uh, as we put it in the story, might very well be Pinterest as opposed to what banks spend a lot of their time focusing on, you know, Facebook and, and Twitter and how to engage with customers there. Um, you know, Pinterest might actually be like the best way to drive sales for a lot of these banks. What are the numbers out of Pinterest? Uh, they have 350 million monthly active users. And the stat that was stuck out to me the most was that about 60% expect to acquire a new financial product in the next three months. All right, thanks Rick. So what's on tap for next week for the three of you? Yeah, well, um, we're gonna be looking at how financial institutions are kind of shifting their innovation and systems teams internally. Looking at one really interesting use case here, um, straight out of Washington, uh, where one lender kind of overhauled their tech and systems teams into these cross-functional teams, mm -hmm. which has led to an acceleration of their product development, 
uh, their VP of systems said that they rolled out something like 20 features in eight weeks since, since changing to this cross-functional team dynamic, um, which is pretty impressive <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. And Rick, what do you have coming, coming up? A uh, couple things in the pipeline. Um, I'm actually speaking with one of the biggest banks in Canada here in an hour or so about uh, a new digital identity solution that they're launching um, and sort of going to get more into some of their personalization efforts um, and kind of uh, some of the products they're launching to create personal customer experiences. Um, and then we also are working on a story about another big bank um, that is working with um, a new tech company to sort of uh, to, to get um, millions of dollars overseas to China to secure uh, protective masks for frontline workers. So kind of looking at how the tech was able to create this nice human interest story there. And Rodrigo? Uh, well, as you mentioned, Dave, we're currently uh, finalizing our startup pipeline evaluation process. Um, so there are a number of companies that are very interesting, I think very relevant to financial institutions given, uh, you know, needs that have come up throughout, uh, you know, the pandemic and, you know, thinking about what banking looks after this, um, it'll be, you know, interesting to see how startups are approaching those partnerships and how they're, you know, focusing their solutions around uh, bank uh, needs. So, uh, you know, that's what we're looking forward to just finalizing that 